This is the David Cassidy Connections with your host, Louise Poynton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. Last Saturday, on November the 21st, American Book Fest announced the winners and finalists of the 2020 Best Book Awards. I was just so thrilled that Cherish has been recognised as a finalist in the category in which it was entered. Although I did not win, I am incredibly proud and want to thank everyone who sent their memories to me for inclusion in Cherish. And I also want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has bought a copy of Cherish. I hope in some small way Cherish continues to be a source of happiness, nostalgia and illustrates the legacy of love that David left us with. So thank you to everyone again for your continued support. And let's get on with this week's episode, where we're going to be hearing from some of David's long-term fans. Later, you will hear from Robbie Di Stefano from Buenos Aires, whose successful music career has been influenced by David. Robbie does not speak a lot of English, but is sharing his story with assistance from translators, his son Alexis and his friend Ramiro Turon. In the show notes for this podcast, you will find links to Robbie's music on social media and streaming platforms. There is also a link to my YouTube channel where you can see Robbie recording for this podcast and singing to us his own composition. But first, here is a tribute from singer-songwriter Harriet Shock, who wrote That's the Way It Is With You, a song recorded on the Partridge Family album Bulletin Board. When I wrote That's the Way It Is With You... I was young and in love, having just come to Los Angeles recently from Dallas. I think in analogies, it helps me understand what's happening. So the parallels in the lyric to reading a good book and not being able to stop reading it, or hearing a song you wanted to hear over and over, that's what this feeling felt like. The song was called That's the Way It Is With You, and it was on my first album called Hollywood Town. The title song was covered by Manfred Mann, and Helen Reddy had a Grammy-nominated hit with another song on the same album, Ain't No Way to Treat a Lady. I'm not sure how the Partridge family heard That's the Way It Is With You, but when I heard how soulful David sounded on it, I was absolutely thrilled. Apparently, they did it on their show, Also, because it would show up on my ASCAP statements under TV appearances. Sometimes it would show up on YouTube, but then it would be taken down. It's a wonderful performance, though. I remember being interviewed by Johnny Ray Miller for his book about David called When We're Singing. A couple of years ago, another wonderful singer named Pat Whiteman did a whole show of my songs with my nine-piece band. She chose to do That's the Way It Is With You because she was such a David Cassidy fan as a girl. I rarely did that song in my shows, having written and recorded six more albums since my first one, but hearing her reminded me how much I loved the song and her lovely version, and best of all, remembering David do it so beautifully. As a journeyman songwriter, I've had hundreds of recordings as well as film and TV placements, but in the top 10 of my personal charts is David Cassidy singing my song, That's the Way It Is With You. I'll be forever grateful for that. 
My name is Christopher Jones. Today is November the 21st, 2020. 2020, as we all would note, not the most favorable of years for a long list of reasons. I'm here in the United States. We all know we had world events, very notable for this year. This is also three years from the passing of David Cassidy in 2017. Also my birthday. My birthday, uh, in passing on my birthday, um, real double whammy for me. I was having not such a good day and um, him being so local to me I always felt I'd have an opportunity to meet him here in Fort Lauderdale and uh, had opportunities um, maybe uh, I regretted my, that afterwards but not making the most of those opportunities winks and nods we shared some of the same causes some of the same circles uh, at a few events was Grand Marshal for some of our yacht parades during Christmas time and some other events here in town. And um, he had some some times that weren't so good. He made the news for some uh, troubling events here and there. Um, I always thought he was a misunderstood person and certainly he had some issues down the road there that uh, tended to undermine who he otherwise was inside. I regretted seeing his home on the market I often thought that should have been made into some sort of tribute or a museum of sorts. But maybe they felt the family that was not the place to do it or not the location. And maybe other places to do that. But uh, nevertheless, it's something some of us have kept in mind. Maybe there's still, uh, still a way to make that happen. I had some uh, events in my life uh, from early on all the way through, actually, but where... He was a, an inspiration for me, as I noted in some of the passages that I have in uh, Louise's uh, very fine book. I grew up fatherless most of the time. Uh, in other words, he wasn't in my life. I was the oldest of four, moved around a lot, had to grow up very fast, matured fast. You know, in those days, in those circumstances, you look for mentors. You look for people you can either mimic or model yourself after, people that are uh, both charming and endearing, yet, uh, you know, maintaining their character and offering you a, uh, a directive, if you will, of how you can uh, model your life. I think it's a normal human psychological element. And, uh, well, I wore my hair like his, quite ironically ended up looking like his. Uh, my nickname in uh, those days was Keith, after the Partridge family character. And uh, I took to playing guitar and some other musicianship and um, I had uh, affection for him there and how he carried himself in some of those uh, situations. And, and then throughout, uh, you know, life, some other events I saw him in, you know, he had the ups and downs and he was a great survivor. You know, he had, even when uh, things were not always ideal for him, he was always managed to, you know, pick him, himself back up and put himself back in the limelight. Um, I, I recall reading many things in the past where, even though he was highly regarded for his role with uh, the TV series and his solo career thereafter, um, he wanted to do more. He wanted to be seen as a serious musician. He, he aspired to be seen in those regards because he was. He was a very talented singer and a very good guitar player. His, uh, his voice and his sound, uh, I, he, he could have formed supergroups out there. And, uh, and nevertheless, he did have a, you know, a Vegas production for a while and some other things. And even at the very end, when things weren't good, he managed to pick up the pieces a little bit so that down the stretch he was uh, someone more manageable and more um, uh, 
more uh, appetizing for more to interact with. He even had some concerts uh, and some, put on some shows late in his uh, late in his life there. Um, the hospital where he died, the general area, I, I pass by it frequently, and uh, each time I think of him, it's uh, it's funny how that has become mentally memorialized um, for that location. And again, I hold a lot of regrets for not taking advantage of those opportunities. He he cared for animals. He cared for the downtrodden. He uh, he had a big heart, bigger than many might have known. And um, even though the wasn't always able to be showcased. Uh, those close to him knew that. And uh, certainly in town, he tried to make a, an effort for that. And um, again, very sorry to see him go. And, and I, I guess it's a normal, normal human reaction we all have. We say, well, geez, if we could have only met him, maybe we could have made a difference. Well, you know, I think for some of the causes that we shared and some of the things that we were about, um, I think maybe I could have hit it off with him had I had a chance to meet him. But in those days, he was a private by design. Um, and sometimes he certainly wasn't as private as he'd like to have been. But um, a big inspiration for me and um, appears for many people around the world. In my situation, it wasn't like uh, a lot of women that were starstruck by him or anything. It was actually his, uh, his talent his uh, his character and uh, his causes, the things that were important to him that really were manifest uh, to me, and um, you know I I think we really lost something when we lost him. It's too bad uh, he isn't still with us. Um, I really think uh, he would have had far more to give. Uh, he really could have made a, a real splash later in his life uh, as well. So. I thank everyone for uh, taking the time to um, hear my uh, summary here and my thoughts. It's uh, appreciated, and I wish everyone a pleasant evening. Good night. Ruth Polding is a fan living in New Zealand. Her recollections of her teenage years have been published in Cherish, along with some of her beautiful poetry. As Christopher just said, November 21 this year marked the third anniversary of David's passing, and Ruth has written another lovely poem, which she has asked me to read out. It's titled Three Long Years. It's three years now since you left me, still missed so much, dear friend. I think of you all the time. My broken heart won't mend. Your friends talk about you. The net is filled with you too. I can see you any time now, but it only makes me blue. Cause you're not here on this earth, not singing, acting for us all. It's only in our memories now, and oh, the memories we recall. We remember you with fondness, the concerts and the shows, the acting, the dancing and the singing, the talent that overflows. But it's all gone now. Nevermore will we hear you once again. You're just a bittersweet memory, my darling, precious friend. Angela Mosley lives in Sydney, Australia, and she now recalls the excitement of being a fan in the 1970s, seeing David in concert when he toured the country and when he revisited in 2002. Angela recalls how she met fellow fan Philip Clark 
and explains as a singer herself what makes David's voice unique. When the Partridge family came out, I turned 13 that year, so I was a teenager at last, so I thought I was the perfect age to be right into all that sort of thing. Anyway, it was just on the television here, and we all watched it, and we loved the music, and then more and more albums were being released, and then, of course, his solo albums, and his first two solo albums, Cherish and Rock Me Baby, just the songs on those are amazing. Unfortunately, he wasn't really recognised for the talent that he was. Painted with that bubblegum idol brush, which was so far from the truth, it's not funny. Mm. And I always think, I always think, if other popular singers in the, of the day had released his songs, they would have been hits. You know, I think about um, that song, Soft as a Summer Shower. Yeah. Now, if somebody like John Denver had released that, would have been played and even something as something like where is the morning if somebody like glenn campbell had it would have been paid played you know but they just and yet he was so popular and yet they just didn't give him the due recognition that he deserved when he um did pass away there was a radio station here in sydney that was talking about it i never ring radio stations but they said if you've got any memories or blah blah so i rang and that was the point i really wanted to make that he wasn't a bubblegum idol star that he was a prolific songwriter a beautiful singer and his songs were poetry whether he wrote them or not they're worth listening to as much as I could too, I always um, saved up my pocket money to buy the Tiger Vet magazine or Sixteen magazine. I didn't have as much merchandise as maybe other people, but what I had was on my wall. It was quite funny because mum and dad said to me, well, you're not sticking stuff onto the wall, you're going to pull the paint off. So lucky for us, we had picture rails. So I got an old sheet, pinned that to the picture rails, and then I was able to pin the, the pictures and the posters to the sheets hanging down. So I found a way around it. I was very resourceful. And then Christmas and birthdays would come, so I'd get the albums because we weren't that well off. I did go to the Randwick Racecourse concert in uh, 1974. It was a really, really hot day. And I think the concert was supposed to start about three o'clock. So we all left home at seven in the morning. There was myself, my my twin sister, Julie, and a few friends of ours. So we um, went off on public transport to the race course. Mm. And they they were going to open the gates at 10. Well, the crowds were so big well before then they opened the gates early. And we all went in. And as much as I would have loved to have been at the foot of the stage, it was so hot. I just knew that people would be just be fainting around me, being sick, awful. So yeah. we went and sat up in the grandstand, but we were at stage level. So it was great. So yeah. it was a wonderful concert. And during the concert, I actually went down out of the grandstand and then stood on the side where all the crowd were at the foot of the stage. So I got a really, really good glimpse. But that was also the concert where they had to whiz him off because the stage was collapsing. And they're saying, can you all just push back? And you couldn't get through to these girls. So they brought him on, thinking he might be able to convince people. And he's going, push back, push back, push back. But no one was moving. So I don't know how they managed to secure the stage. Um, And then I went to see him when he came out in... 2002 
So I went to Wollongong, which is about 60 miles from Sydney. And then I also went to the Sydney concert. My family always made me laugh about this story. It was well in before the days of getting tickets on the internet. So I had to go to the local ticket agency to buy my tickets. They were going on sale at 9am. So I was there at 5am with a thermos of coffee, my radio, uh, a book and a chair. And I'm sitting there. But I was ready to go. About six o'clock, a cleaner comes along and said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to get David Cassidy tickets. Anyway, um, he said, well, come inside. Don't sit out there. So I sat in the foyer of the ticket place and my family always laughed because nobody else lined up that day for tickets. So I was there by myself. And I said, I don't care because it meant that I got second row seats for the concert in Wollongong and the concert in Sydney. It was worth every hour of waiting for them. Um, There were lots of ticket agencies around the place. I'm sure other people phoned for tickets or lined up at those agencies. They just didn't happen to be at the agency where I was. But I don't care. It's It's all part of the story as far as I'm concerned. Well, it is. I mean, it was so exciting going back to the uh 70s I suppose you would have done the same same thing over there you know when he came here in 73 you had to send off with a postal order yes and a request for tickets in the that's hope right. that you would be successful and that's right and there yes. was there were some friends who got their postal orders back oh i've managed to get to to t- oh that- it was the most exciting day Really How important. exciting was it when you heard he was coming in 74? In 1974, yeah. Well, just like going through the paper and you're just looking at the movies that are on. So it was on the entertainment page and it's like, okay, oh, my God, David Cassidy's coming to Australia. And it was all, and I felt the same way when it was advertised for 2002. I almost had to say to somebody near, can you read me what this says just so that I'm not having a stroke or something? It was just so thrilling. And I remember that, I think I remember this, this could be wishful thinking, I don't know, that the tickets back in 1974 cost $10. I don't know whether that was good or bad for a concert, but for some reason that amount just sticks in my mind. But it was a great day. It was a great day, you know. And and the fact too that he sang a Delta Lady. And I thought, oh, that's a very cool song for you to be singing. That was just lovely. Yeah. So in 1974, then I was 16. And it was interesting because the school I was at ended at what we called fourth form. So we had to go to a different school for fifth and sixth form to finish our high school. And because many girls came from different schools in that area, on that weekend they had a, a camp for all the girls to go to to get to know each other. And my sister and I had to make up some excuse about why we couldn't go to camp because we were going to see David Cassidy. I wasn't going to go to a camp to meet people who I didn't know, who I'll get to know in the next two years anyway. So I always think that's quite funny that, you know, somehow my parents let us do that. So I think they probably knew there was no stopping us. So, yeah, so I saw him in Wollongong in 2002 and in Sydney. And when I was in at the Wollongong concert, I saw this fellow there with his son and he had a Partridge family T-shirt on. And I thought, oh, that's really nice, you know. So I went up and I said, excuse me, where did you get the T-shirt? Thinking it was on sale there, even though it was a David Cassidy, not a Partridge family gig. And he said, oh, I bought it in America. I went, oh, well, it's really great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw him again at the Sydney concert. Oh, there's that fellow there with his son again and enjoying the show and bopping along. 
Anyway, fast forward 10 years later, I like to have a bit of a sing myself. So I joined the local musical society. Anyway, so I turned up for auditions for a cabaret show that they were putting on. And I walk in and sit down and the director of the show was the fellow at the concert. So I went up and I said, were you at David Cassidy's concert in Wollongong and Sydney? And he said, yes. I said, so was I. And he went, oh, that's marvellous. And Louise, it was Philip Clark. No way. Yes. No way. Yes. So because he had me as an ally then in this musical, he was too old to sing I Think I Love You. So one of the young guys sang it and Philip and I did backup vocals. Oh, my God, I was on cloud nine. We did four performances. And then Philip also sang Could It Be Forever? And the whole chorus sang I Write the Songs. Oh, wow. Amongst other songs in the show, but, oh, oh, and Breaking Up is Hard to Do, I did backup vocals on that as well. I just felt like I was part of the band, you know? Wow. So that was really exciting. And I don't know what made me remember what Philip looked like all that time. Yeah, so that was really, really lovely. And then, of course, I went off to, I've got notes here, I went off to (laughs) the USA on a holiday in 2012. And I said to my husband and my son, I said, well, while we're there, I said, I have to look up and see where David Cassidy's performing, if he's performing. And I said, I'll be going. I don't care what you do, I'm going. So we uh, worked it all out before we went and I got tickets for his show in St Charles, which is near St Louis. So that was good. So at the time we were in New Orleans, so I left my husband and son behind and I flew off to St Charles, St Louis by myself, get myself into a hotel, I'm all excited. The next day I get into the taxi to go to the show and the taxi driver says, um, where to? And I said, I was reading the name of the uh, auditorium. It was a really long, unusual name. And he just said to me, are you going to see David Cassidy? I said, yes, I can't believe you know that he's going to be on there. He said, oh, it's been advertised everywhere here. When I got there, there was a line of people lined up who'd won some competition to meet him. So I just tapped myself on the end of that line. And I'd made a sign that says, Australia loves you. So that was fine. Anyway, we just waited and waited and waited. The show was supposed to start about 8 o'clock. About quarter to 8, a manager came out and said, uh, David won't be seeing anybody before the show, but come back after the show. But I will, fair enough. So I go in and sit down. I think I was in the second or third row, and I made friends with two beautiful girls next to me, Pam Mierkowski, who's now my dear friend on Facebook, and a friend of hers, Abby. So we're sitting there waiting. The lights go down. And out onto the stage walks David Cassidy with a towel around his neck and his manager. And his manager said, I'm really sorry to tell you, David's not well enough to perform. So tonight's show is being postponed till December. And I thought, well, no, this can't be because I can't get back in December. So just rewind and try again, you know. Then David spoke. It was a bit raspy, I suppose. He apologised and he said, and then the manager said, if you want a refund, you can get a refund. Otherwise, you know, defer your tickets till December. And then they walked off the stage. But I don't know what possessed me. I grabbed that sign of mine and I bolted down to the foot of the stage and I just yelled out, David. And he looked over and I held up the sign and he looked at it and gave me a nod and then off he went. And then I just went back and sat in my seat next to Pam and Abby and I said, is this really happening? Oh, and of course, the manager had to say, to rub salt into the wound. 
This is the first time David has ever cancelled a concert due to illness. And I'm thinking, couldn't you have picked one of your other... The poor guy, he had to go to hospital and the next night the next show was cancelled. We hung around and we had photos taken in front of all the photos of him in the foyer and that and I got a cab back to the hotel, flew back to New Orleans the next day and my husband met me and I just said, I want to go home. But we hadn't finished our holiday and then he said, it's all right, Andrew, you'll be all right. He knew how disappointed I was. I still can't believe it. Yeah. to be sitting yeah. there and he actually came out and it, you just yeah mm. but i had my whole spiel ready about how i know philip clark because he knows philip and he knows jim i had the whole spiel ready about here i am they told me to line up you know yes oh how heartbreaking but it was it was just how unbelievable anyway the two girls that i met went to the concert then in december and they said it was just terrific so i was glad they got to go anyway and anybody else who wanted to it was yeah. a bit heartbreaking. And then because I'd run down the front with the sign that says, Australia loves you, and then everybody was looking, and they're saying, have you come from Australia? I went, yes, I have come from Australia. Thank you very much. Mm. So that's what I was saying to you before. I always thought that I would see him again. Like most of us, you probably felt the same way when you saw him in Sydney. In oh, absolutely. In 2002, as you did when you were a teenager. <clears throat> oh, it was no different because the music is fresh in your mind the whole time and to hear it again it just it just sparks you you know it's uh, the sort of music that you play when you're really happy or when you're sad it's just constant it's just always the right music that's what i always find it's always just the right music and it's lovely seeing him in concert he's such a great performer you know yet again people have no idea the intensity no. of those concerts and even when you see him performing with Mickey Dolenz and what's his name? Peter in a, in a noon. They're fantastic clips as well. He and he's a great guitarist. He, you know, he gave it all in his concerts. There's no doubt about that. When he was out here doing his concert, he did a promotion on an ABC show here called The Fat, like chewing the fat talking. Anyway, so I rang up and I said, Oh, can I please have a ticket to be in the audience for that? And they said, Sorry, we're really full. I said, I'll sit on a step, I'll stand, I don't care. And they said, no, sorry, give me your name and number just in case. So I said, all right, thank you. Well, I was lucky enough that on the day they phoned and said, we have got a spare ticket if you'd like to come. And I said, yes, thank you very much. So off I went and I was holding my program that I had from the Ramwick Race Course and I was sitting in the front row of the audience and so the host of the show said, oh, you know, there's a fan. I was, were you at that concert? I said, yes, that was fine. And the cameramen were all around. Anyway, David came on and they sang, um, I woke up in love this morning. And then he had an interview. And then the cameraman looked at me and said, come here. And I went, oh, all right. Over I went and he said, if you stand just over in that door there, he's going to come right past here when, you, when he's finished his interview. I said, oh, okay, thank you very much. Okay. So I stood there and out he came. Louise, I don't know what I said to him. <laughs> I said, hello, it's nice to meet you. Your music's fantastic. I don't know what I said. Oh, no, I said, hello, it's fantastic to meet you. I love your music or whatever. Somebody was kind of rushing him along though. So I was a little bit disappointed about that. But it was just so unexpected. And that cameraman was so nice and thought that I saw me sitting there so patiently and beckoned me over. I was so lucky. 
But those yeah, yeah. moments, no matter that you can't remember what you said, you still remember the way it made you feel. Well, it did. And it was just, I thought, I've waited my whole life for that. That's all I could think. Lincoln, mm. well, I've met Dan Cassidy. I've waited my whole adult life, an adult teenage into adult. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So it was terrific. Yeah, I, yeah. Can see, I can see how emotional that still makes you feel. I just, it was just there and what I love about talking to other David Cassidy fans is you don't have to explain the story you don't have to explain the background they just get it and you only have to say and that's why I think Philip and I got on so well because we just said David Cassidy yes and it just went on from there you know they just get it and for the for the guys to get it is even more oh so impressed I'm so impressed with that really yeah um, when I turned 40, we had a, um, my sister and I had a joint party, of course. This jockey said, you know, what do you want played? And, oh, well, I said, I'll need some David Cassidy and the Partridge family. And when you went to people's parties in those days, nobody played that stuff. They did it mine and the dance floor was full. It was just fantastic. And then the same thing when I turned 50, we also had another combined party. So they knew that. And um, we didn't have a big party when we turned 60 we just just let that slip by yeah but um yeah so I always remember that too that 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 was a joyous thing to see all my friends dancing to I think I love you and could it be forever and, and it's just great what, what do you think is his his best work oh it's so hard because the albums are different but I love Cherish and I love Rock Me Baby um I must tell you this story my brother is five years younger than me so i guess he was about nine years old when sound magazine was released you know recently on facebook they have this thing about you know take a black and white photo of 10 places you've been no explanation needed and people do all this mm. well on this particular post it said name 10 albums that had an effect on you during your life so my brother who used to go to the pub and listen to rock bands and very much all the rock music and pop music of Australia puts up that Sound Magazine was one of the most um, one of the most um, effective albums on his life. And I said it. I said the other. I said John, I can't believe that you put Sound Magazine. He said that's a great album. And I said yes, I know it is. It just it made me smile because all the other ones were you know things like Midnight Oil and In Excess and. Mm. And all these, you know, rock, ACDC, all sorts of things like that. And there there was, in the middle of it all, Sound Magazine. Wow. Well, there you go. So, it, you know, he even appreciated it. I think people need to be educated on just how good the Partridge family music was. Oh, it is. And I always think about having these, these songs put to a, an orchestra. Yes. And I always think about, because what I do have, which Philip gave me, was a karaoke CD of uh, Partridge Family and David Cassidy songs so that you can sing on your own in the car. Now, the backing for Where Is The Morning, the horns and the strings in that just send a tingle up my spine every time I hear it. Wow. As I always turn it up really loud in the car, that part. Yeah. yeah, so they are really suited. And you can just imagine... The, the violins in Cherish and things like that. And, you know, no bridge I wouldn't cross um, saxophones. It's just, it's all suited for it. Absolutely. You know, they, they've done it so well with Elvis, the Carpenters. Um, yes. Johnny Cash has just had one come out. David's voice to that. 
he was such a good singer that live in an outdoor concert, I've watched different clips on YouTube, he was always in tune, he gave it his all. I've been to concerts of people who I've bought albums for and gone to their concerts and thought, "Mm, well, they don't sound like that on their records, you know. Yes, but he, you know, even though he put his own slant on it, he sang so well, so well. I often preferred some of his live interpretations of yes his music i agree i agree he did slightly different versions of how can i be sure yes he just added a little bit more beat to it a little bit and i thought yes wow, that is so good and the faster version of um some kind of a summer isn't it good i love it yes I love it. and the faster version also of can't go home again which he's he sang at your your concert I completely agree. He's, his musicality was excellent. Yes, his appreciation of a, of a tune, of how to play, just and of course the meanings in the songs. You know, he made, he made you feel like he was singing it to you. You know, when I play David Cassidy albums at home, my son and my, my husband join in. It's like they've been indoctrinated their whole lives, but yeah. they just know. If it's in the car, they sing along. They just know. That's right, just the recognition that he was a fantastic musical artist. You know? when, you, when you saw him in, in two, 2002, did all the old butterflies come back? Oh, yeah, and because I was so much closer that time too, you know, I was down at the foot of the stage. Yeah, so that was great. That was really good. And he was really generous in that he touched everybody's hands who were reaching up to him and he stopped and spoke and somebody handed him an old magazine or something and he went through it. He was very generous with his time and his interaction with the audience at those concerts. He was our hero, idol. He was everything that we expected. But he was so unthreatening. Yes, that's it. And there was no bad publicity. There was like when he he was in Rolling Stone magazine. Well, I mean, I never saw that centrefold until I saw it. Yeah. I know. But, you know, I thought if that's if that's all that they can criticise him about, he's not doing too badly, you know. They didn't give other people who did the same thing the same rap. Yeah, and there was nothing and, you know, there might have been sex, drugs and rock and roll, but it wasn't plastered all over the headlines. So as a singer, what do you recognise in his voice? Oh, his musicality. Completely um, his tone, always in tune, feeling behind the song, Everything you want from an artist, he does it every time. As I said before, I've been to concerts where I've been so disappointed because the backing singers had to carry the lead and and, and things like that. But he was never carried in his shows. He did it all himself. Is he the perfect example for students on how certain songs should be delivered, where the emphasis on certain parts of a a song should be? Yes. And his phrasing and all that too was always really, really good. Yeah, yes, just a terrific musical talent, which I guess he inherited some from his dad. Tell me what your lasting memory is of, of David. Just someone who seemed genuine, no airs and graces, kind, generous to his fans, and just a wonderful performer all round, musically, songwriting interpretation just just the music the music is him isn't it nobody else could have sung those songs the way he did well it's just terrific i just thank the lord that i walked the earth the same time as he did how lucky were we to be born when we were i used to feel like like i used to sort of 
been lying oh. in bed at night and I've been, I've been talking to David Cassidy in my, you know, sometimes out loud, going, oh, David, you know, in my mind and out loud. And it's funny too because whenever I go into new situations, even though I've retired, I work one day a week. So when I went into, gone into work and said, guess what I'm doing tonight? And I said, what? I said, well, all you young people may not know who this is. But wherever I can, wherever he, I feel he needs to be introduced, I do it. People just have to know, you know, and, young, and, and often I'll say to people, ask your parents, ask your mother. I'm sure she knows who I'm talking about. So I'm okay. so impressed with your book. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's just lovely. I mean, I haven't read probably half of it. But because it's so beautiful and emotional, you, you've got to absorb it, yeah. each individual letter. Oh, I'm so yeah. pleased you like it. Oh, yes, I really do. Such a great idea. Bless you. And, and, and I also think, too, it just shows you that we're out there, that it wasn't something that came and went. Since 1972, I've been a massive fan of David Cassidy. He's one of the pop stars that I will never forget. His first album I ever bought was Cherish... And his single, of course, Cherish and How Can I Be Sure. Later followed by all the Cassidy albums that came out and all the Partridge families that came out. I had the privilege of seeing David live in concert at Wembley and on his return back to the UK at the White City. I collected all his magazines and his books. I had magazine pictures up on my bedroom wall. A time I will never forget because my girlfriend at the time and my partner then came to see David Cassidy with me twice live in concert. And to this day now, I run the David Cassidy tribute page in memory of David Cassidy. Like a lot of you, he's given me a lot of pleasure over the years. Yeah, of course I had the David Cassidy clothing as well. I had the, uh, the blue velvet jacket. I used to copy his shirts, his jeans that he had. A friend of mine put all the patches on there of different pop stars at that time. I remember one of them was um, David Bowie and I had Bugs Bunny and some of the cartoon characters on my jeans as well. I had the long flowing hair down to my shoulders and it was all fluffed up on top. The later part of David Cassidy for when he came back to the White City, Chris Phillips had the time of his life. Hi, this is Barbara Balducci, and this is one of the poems I had written for David in January of 1973, when I was 16 years old. It's entitled, The Five-Year-Old Man. David, those hazel green eyes could tell such a story, a story of a courageous young boy. He happily lived to the tender age of five, until one day his contentment was no longer joy. His mom and his dad had their differences, but David was merely a child. He really never knew what was going on or that his parents' love for each other had died. As every day passed on and on, little David saw less of his dad. He was still quite young, but a bit more observant, and times now were beginning to get bad. He asked many questions of his dear, trusting mother, but she couldn't do it alone, so she said, Ask your father next time you see him. He did, and that's when this child's world had been blown. It happened one day when they were traveling, he and his dad in a car. They were driving in a tunnel, a dark, lonely tunnel, getting closer to home, 
but still so very far. David looked up at this man beside him, scared, ashamed, and meek. He then asked that question and was answered by a, yeah. But David was confused. For how long? A day? A week? Little did he know that it would be forever with no more picnics and castles of sand. And so the story ends at the tender age of five with David Cassidy becoming a man. Hi, Luis. It's a pleasure to be featuring in your podcast of David Cassidy, who, you know, to me was uh, my main idol. To answer your question about whether David was not much appreciated by his fellow musicians, uh, in my honest opinion, as David uh, started off as an actor and knowing his passion for singing and music, I believe he found an opportunity in his role in the Partridge family, which here and, and in Spain was called Mamá y sus increíbles hijos. And that had a, a great impact on what he later became as a musician. I think they discovered his innate talent for music and catapulted him to fame as a singer there. Even though he'd also starred in, in other series as Bonanza or Ironside. So they were very successful with David. They, they saw his commercial potential and, and put him in front of the songs and, and published records internationally with, with great reception. But I think, given that the Partridge family was a sitcom and that David had been singing primarily rock music, the other rock musicians didn't actually take him seriously. And besides, Wes Farrell having made excellent musical arrangements, me, David, wanted more rock-sounding compositions both musically and with uh, lyrics as well. And in fact, they did change some of these arrangements to his liking, but, but yeah, the bottom line is that um, I think this, that coming from a sitcom wasn't actually so welcomed uh, by his colleagues. Regarding your question about how my music life began and how I got my admiration for David, um, to summarize it, let me tell you, it all started around age 11 or 12, just before my, my adolescence, uh, watching uh, the Partridge uh, family. And what struck me was uh, David's interpretation skills uh, through, through the songs and his warmth as a singer. And I had already been exposed to music some years before that. My mother used to sing beautifully and, and coming from an Italian family, we were always listening to music. So, so that led to my parents insisting on me taking uh, guitar lessons. And, and that's how I started learning music more, more seriously. But um, yeah, it, it was thanks to David um, and his talent and charisma that I realized that I wanted to do music for life. You know, and I followed him uh, as a guide um, to what I later started doing myself. You know. And it wasn't until 1983 that I got my first production out. Answering your question about which David songs I've recorded or ever performed, 
I actually recorded a lot of his songs, and many of them haven't been published. But the ones that got out were three. Uh, one of them is I Woke Up In Love This Morning, the other Lying To Myself, and I also released Tell Me It's Not True. Those are songs I absolutely loved, their arrangements and how David's interpretative format is portrayed. I believe those were the songs that I, I was most impacted by and that most got my attention. Because I was always more of a balladeer than a rocker and, and I got to a point in my life that I had to answer myself why I still hadn't interpreted songs by, by my idol. And, and I did. I, I ended up recording these three songs. You asked me about uh, what I felt during my Australian tour in naturally visiting places uh, related to David to me was very exciting. It was by 2012 when Franco Iacono with Eventos Latinos summoned me to, to go to Australia and I had already released uh, Solar Robbie which uh, features one of David's song, songs Tell Me It's Not True and I remember thinking on the plane flying to, to Australia um, I will be where, where my idol was, where many of his fans were, where, where actually people asked for him crying in front of other performan, performing musicians. Uh, it was a lot process and, and having the chance to get to know all of that for me was uh, fantastic. The Opera House, for example, knowing that he was there. It, it was great. It was unbelievable. Uh, a, a, a truly unbelievable experience. Actually, I believe that having visited those places was one of the greatest, greatest moments of my life. Regarding the importance of David and his music and, and his legacy, um, just like David was a great inspiration to me, I can assure you that he was for lots and lots of other artists too. Even looking at pictures of David with John Lennon makes me think he, he also admired David. Because even though he was a very, very good looking young man at his 20s or, or 30s, I, I would say that didn't have an influence. But beyond that, I, I think he had an innate musical talent. It was, it was great. Although I, I believe that due to the tremendous tours he did, uh, he, he got to a point where he got tired of all that. And I think around 1974, when he had a, a fan deceased in one of his shows, and the whole effort of touring, um, yeah, it, 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 was, it must have been hard. But yeah, I'm a big fan of his musical talent, and I think that's what prevailed after all. He was an incredible musician. He, he sat to the piano and played. He took the guitar and, and played. As I said earlier, he, he left a very important legacy for a great number of musicians and artists. And I would actually would love that future generations still listen to, to his music, to his fantastic songs, to his beautiful voice. That needs to be remembered and, and appreciated.
When I'm a Rock and Roll Star by David Cassidy. A great start for me. Well, uh, saying goodbye to you, Louise, and to your audience on the podcast. Um, I'm so, so grateful and, and moved by this opportunity of showing my music and sharing my love for David and, and his work and his legacy on me. Let me play you all the song of my own that's actually on the album Solo Robbie of 2011, uh, which uh, features David's Tell Me It's Not True. And well, this one is called Tell Me How Long, Honey. Hope you enjoy it. Cuántas verdades quedaron a medias, cuántos pretextos, preguntas y sueños se fueron contigo. Hasta cuándo, corazón, seguirás recordando. Basta ya, por favor, déjala ir. Hasta cuándo. Ya no 